sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Hour number two of the early line, giving you the edge here on Sports Grid. I'm Dane Martinez. Some people know me as a spitting statistician, stable genius, and vocal minority. And I am joined by my man, Kevin Walsh, here, helping us put the fun and functional sports content. And Kev, kind of like the headline marquee series of the first round, in my opinion, at the top of the marquee, was the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron and AD up against the hot, Portland Trailblazers, right, with the bubble MVP, Damian Lillard, and all the public love. Well, that series is 2-1. to one. Portland got the first game, but since then, it does seem, Kev, right, like L.A. is kind of establishing and enforcing their will, especially on the defensive side. Now, game three on Saturday, Portland had a lead for a lot of the game, was hanging in, but just couldn't sustain it. And ultimately, despite Carmelo Anthony being hot, the Lakers kind of just, you know, blow right past them with their defense and with, you know, just keeping with their game. It's almost like Portland has to be perfect in order to hang with L.A. Now, are they capable of that? Yes, we've seen it, but there is no margin of error for these trailblazers moving forward. So if I would have told you that Lillard scored 34, McCollum 28, Mello 20, and the Lakers missed 15 free throws, yeah. I mean, how much do you think the Blazers win that game by? You know what I mean? I mean like maybe, but I I almost think they need to have these otherworldly performances that Dane so, was having. So maybe sure. 30 ain't enough, but like 47, Donovan Mitchell territory is what right. to be honest though, and, and this is an important point. You're right, Kevin. Okay. You're right. However, I, at least for me, and what I believe is other Portland backers or people who are excited about Portland. Mm-hmm. Part of what it was, at least for me, was coming to almost now expect the otherworldly performance, right, from Damian Lillard. So when you say he gets the 34, like, yeah, that's a damn good game. But no, I don't know if I would have said Portland gets that game when you just tell me that, right? Because I would be almost now expecting 45 plus for it to happen. So yeah, it's a great game, but no, I don't know that if you give me that, I'd be like, Oh, that's a Portland win because I was thinking they needed that crazy MVP out of body experience to get it done. And I was almost going to hang my hat that it was going to happen. So that is why I I attached the 15 missed free throws to the back of it. But also respectfully, that's why the idea that this team was going to beat the Lakers was always ridiculous. He's not going to average 45 for a game in a series after having to do it for nine games that were basically all playoff games against one of the best defenses in basketball. And this is the thing. This outlier 50% from three shooting performance, Dane, since the first quarter of game number one, they right. had one quarter where they've touched 30, and it was a game game two's garbage time. No, yeah. Literally no starters were out there on the court. Like, they are going up against a juggernaut defensively. And it is making life incredibly difficult for them. Nurkic only had 10 points. Okay? I mean, Hassan Whiteside got thrown into the starting lineup. And it right. didn't work. Eight and eight. Right? Like, we, Wenyan Gabriel, you know, was, is doing his best. Bless him. But after starting, he went on and played four minutes. And this right. is the thing I think that is so difficult for this team. 
Lillard went out there and played the whole second half. McCullum went out there and played this whole second half. Again. Again. Right. Like, these guys are having to do this, and it's still not resulting in wins. Right. It's like, and by the way, as we welcome back in our radio audience from around the country, including out there on the West Coast with the Mightier 1090, it's almost like, for me, Kev, they needed the, those guys to be Superman, and they're only playing like Aquaman. You know? And that's sure. not enough to get the job done. But I know you were thinking about, you know, how to play this something in the prop market as well, especially around Lillard and LeBron, because they're adjusting to the numbers, but you also got to believe who these dudes are. Right. And from game to game, you're going to put stock in that when we're talking about like LeBron and Dame Dollar. Right. Yeah. So uh, going into game number three, there was kind of some, uh, if you will, sharp betters, I believe, uh, you know, going after both LeBron and Lillard props towards the under. And I think it was one of those spots where you kind of get caught up in your projections. Right. Versus kind of getting a feel for who these two guys are. And to be fair to any person that went out there and bet Lillard and LeBron unders, look, if you stick to your projections, I'm sure you come out profitable for it, and that's why you do it. But betting under LeBron after scoring 10, wild move. Betting under Lillard after scoring 18, wild move. Especially, though, when the books went out there and adjusted and gave LeBron's number down two points, gave you Lillard's yeah. number down three or four points. And now we come back here to game number four, and LeBron is back up to 29 and a half. Lillard's back up to 33 and a half. And I actually think that it, it is it is a fair argument to be made, though, that now you might want to come for some unders. Lillard is not off of, as you've mentioned, Dane, an all-world scorch-earth performance. I'm just not sure it's necessarily in him because of the Lakers' defense, but shooting 5 of 11 from deep and 13 of 14 from the line is a great night, and that's what he needed to get to 34. And again, LeBron going out there and shooting 11 of 18 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3 and scoring 38 is amazing. But Mm -hmm. you know he's not averaging 30 on a regular basis, and I don't know if he'll need another 30 again. So I think last time out it was tough discounted numbers. Now the numbers are back up. I understand actually wanting to play both those guys under here in game four. All right, we shall see. I know what will help that total for LeBron is hitting some of his free throws. He was missing a ton of them in game three. If he cleans that up, it becomes even harder for Portland. Can you believe, Kevin, that this would be week three of the NFL preseason? We got to talk about it. We'll give you that when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back into the early line right here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. And Kev, I said it going into the break. This is week three of what would be the preseason, okay? Two weeks from now, Kevin, it will be, I believe, Labor Day. We'll Mm -hmm. still be here bright and early in the morning. But we will be talking about week one of the NFL season and, like, legit lines and, like, legit who's hurt, who's available, who tested positive for COVID and schemes and all that stuff. It'll be opening week of the NFL. So we've got to get you caught up on some of these news and notes because if a guy goes down with an injury, like, in practice today, 
He's no guarantee for week one, and you need to know that. I know that I'm getting bombarded by questions in the fantasy football world as well, and you can always do that. We will try to weave in some of that here for you guys here on the early line as we get deeper into draft season and ultimately fantasy football as well. But I can't wait to talk to Ariel in our little crossover with the morning after um, today or whenever we do this week because her Baltimore Ravens made an interesting roster move over the weekend. They have released all pro safety Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas, who is due $25 million, Kevin. It seems like wasn't a good fit for the team. Had a fight at practice late last week, and it seems like barked up the wrong tree. You know, conduct detrimental to the team. I don't know if it was team fit, chemistry, whatever it was, but Earl Thomas is now out there. There are a number of teams that would still, of course, want Earl Thomas's uh, services, but let's first talk about what happened here in Baltimore, Kev. What do you think happened, and what kind of impact is this on the Ravens' championship contending defense? This is a bit jarring, isn't it? It is. You know, players fighting in training camp isn't All necessarily like some foreign concept. And Earl Thomas is a guy that you would think would be held in some high regard when it comes to this football team. He's been a leader for many years. You know, I don't know if people view Earl Thomas as someone that is, you know, maybe controversial or easy to or hard to deal with, but I, don't, I think that would be a label where people might be misremembering his issues with the Seahawks not paying right. him. I don't remember right, right, ever right. hearing about Earl Thomas and, and teammate issues. I could be mistaken, but I don't remember that. And the like, he got into a fight with Chuck Clark. One, right. two, three. Who? Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like one of those things where it's not as if like, oh, this is an uh, unforgivable. Maybe he's loved move. in the locker room, you know? Who knows? Yeah, listen, I, maybe, maybe Chucky C is. But you would think, again, that cooler heads might prevail. And, you know, apparently the, the, the Ravens and, and their players thought that this was the necessary moves. And right. there's only two ways, right? Either this Ravens team is very sensitive to their Super Bowl chances, and they believe that there is not a risk worth taking. Yeah, culture-wise. At the first sign of an instance, that pl- player needs to be removed. But that does feel a bit extreme. And it does then beg the question, were there other issues that existed between Earl Thomas and other players that were a part of this organization? Because this was not a cheap decision made by Baltimore. No, absolutely not a cheap decision. When you talk about the the skill of the player involved, right? Sometimes stars get longer leashes. I think you're right. Uh, camp fights are very common. So I believe that there's something else we don't know in there. And, and to be quite honest, Kev, when you talk about maybe they're just prioritizing the culture, right? And this they can't mess with what's working, the vibe in that locker room. Well, if that is the case. Okay, then they better not bring in Antonio Brown or Des Bryant, which has been rumored right for workouts over the last couple of days as well. If you're going to make this move and cut a Hall of Fame safety, right, for the for the idea of like keeping harmony in that team, don't bring in a B. That's what but I then, would say. Let me just say though, I, I would have thought Baltimore would have been a great spot for either of those guys, where I would trust them yes, to handle. But that's those not the decisions they're making. But they are. That's, but they. It looks yeah. like, to your point, this is a zero tolerance policy, right? And if that's the case, you're gonna have to tolerate 
those dudes. So I don't know if it's going to be a fit. I do want to talk about some other news and notes that I heard over the weekend. Kev, one of our biggest or my thesis is, right, thesi over the football season is that there are very few bell cow running backs. Right. And the league is going into more timeshares, more committees. And I want to talk about some moves that I saw. One is in Las Vegas. I keep on saying, you know, Las Vegas, not Oakland. They're bringing in Theo Riddick um, to be that kind of pass catching back. And I think that's very, very interesting because at one point we may have thought Josh Jacobs there was one of these kind of bell cows. A lot of people are expecting big things from Josh Jacobs. One of the concerns or questions about him was his work in the passing game. Bringing in Theo Riddick, a superstar pass catching out of the backfield PPR kind of back, may give you cause for pause on Josh Jacobs. What do you think this means for the Raiders, but also for the stock of Josh Jacobs? Look, so I get it, right? Theo Riddick has a reputation as a pass catcher. I, I don't yep. really feel like I remember the last good Theo Riddick season. And to He's be been fair, with a like, injury the last couple of years. Right, but like that still is a thing, sure. right? Yeah, like he's absolutely. he's not been hundred percent. And I think there's something to be said though about trying to find the balance between oh my god, they added a piece and now he's gonna take all this workload and like look at the other names in the backfield. Like Lynn Bowden Jr. right now sits second on that death chart. Like yeah, Jalen Richard, Richard. Kentucky. Right? right, like Jalen Rashard is there, Devonta Booker, but you know what? Like, it's not a a, a group that provides <laughs> overwhelming comfort. And Jacobs last year, I don't believe, gave you a full sixteen. So having no. some other pieces there, I think, does make sense. But again, ultimately, I expect Josh Jacobs to be more involved in the passing game. And I think when it comes to his okay. value, that's all you're really looking for. And if he, but if he ended up being an 80 20 kind of guy, like that's when it's like, oh, wow, I stole an RB1 right. type of deal, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely true. Jacobs right now, though, is going on that RB1 to cusp. I've seen him everywhere from RB9 to like RB13. So there is an open question as to if and how much this will eat into mm -hmm. some of that pass catching load. The Los Angeles Rams, a team we have been talking about as a fantasy herd in the running back position, right? Malcolm Brown, Daryl Henderson, and the rookie Cam Akers. Well, over the weekend, Daryl Henderson had a little bit of a hammy issue, and it looks like Cam Akers is actually running with the ones in practice so this could be a backfield that you could find some production in or it could be a nightmare are you buying cam Akers as the lead dog for the rams so this is uh one of the backfields that we disagreed the most on I right Fair. during some of our roster resets yep and my point always was cam Akers was the first pick that this team made in last year's draft and he's a good right. football player so i want cam Akers, and he doesn't seemingly in drafts go anywhere near your Jonathan Taylor's right where they, right. you know where you might have these split backfields. Um, you know Daryl Henderson. I do not think uh, you can really convince me of considering the fact that they watched Gurley lead, had a year of Henderson, and we're still taking Cam Akers. Malcolm Brown right. as a veteran, maybe being get, getting first crack, I think is mm -hmm. plausible. Right, I believe yeah. he does sit number one in the depth chart. But yes, right. I do believe Cam Akers by year's end is this team's lead back. Cool. I, I agree with you. I do believe Malcolm Brown, like people just think he's signed up like a nondescript name, but he's going to have some of that action as well. He will get touches as well with the Rams. You're talking about a sending name. You talk about a rookie. You talk about an RB1. You talk about a potential lead dog. Everybody is in love with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the first round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs, and who looks to be sitting on top of that depth chart, especially with Damian Williams opting out. He has been the darling 
feeling of fantasy football draft season. And listen, they continue to be hyping him up, saying that he may be uh, having a big year and could be that primary ball carrier for Kansas City. Are you buying all the love for CEH? Of course. There's no reason not to. There's no reason not to. They took him in the first round at a position that they didn't need. And then the guy that was going to put pressure on him opted out. There's not a single running back who's better at anything in when it comes to being a running back than him on this roster. No, I'm not worried about Darwin Thompson. No, I'm not worried about Elijah McGuire. And any work that those guys get, fine. It cuts into a percentage of the best offense in the league. Buy the hype. Dane, you have about two weeks. Buy it. Stop Listen, selling the I hype. I was the person originally. Wait a second. I was originally the person pushing the hype on Clyde Edwards Hilaire before everybody else. I love the player. Okay. I just think the hype, relatively speaking, is going a little bit too far. We will continue to talk about that. But if you love him so much, then you need to add him with your Joe Burrow rookie of the year pick. We turn our attention to no, no, not that far. All right. We go to baseball when we come back here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, here on the early line, including our radio audience around the country, especially out there on the West Coast, the mightier 1090. We thank you for waking up with us, Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh here on the grid. Kev, you know what's so interesting? I checked the standings, right? And the NL West, who, like, you know, hasn't really been dealing with COVID, they have teams who have played 30 games, Kev. The Dodgers, mm. 30 games in. The Padres, 30 games in. The Giants at two games under 500, 14 and 16. They're in third place, 30 games in, 30. I know you don't like heavy-duty math, Kev, but 30 is half of 60, okay? So we are halfway through. And remember how we talked about the trading deadline and how that was going to come when so many teams were still in it? Well, it is true, and there were some trades from teams that are out of it over the weekend. And we talked about these Boston Red Sox, right? We knew they were going to be kind of sellers. They did move Brandon Workman to the Philadelphia Phillies, and he wound up getting a save yesterday. So that is one deal. Boston acknowledging that they're done. The Seattle Mariners also at 11 and 19 acknowledging that they are done. They moved Daniel Vogelbach, kind of corner infielder, DH type, right? They moved him to the Toronto Blue. Blue Jays to help add some thump in that lineup. Take it from a big picture perspective first, Kev. We're halfway through, and we were talking about kind of like the standings, right, and how close, say, that seventh and eighth wild card spots are. We talked about it before the season. Here we are, 30 games in. Everybody is still pretty much in contention. We saw a couple of deals happen. I don't know that we're going to see a ton of big names moving, but more maybe these little kind of deals for like a reliever here or a bench bat here. I think that's more of what we're going to see. Yeah, it's 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 hard when, you know, 75% of the league is still in it. And yep. also you have a limited player pool that you can right. trade from. Uh, you know, I think you'd really need to blow a team away to be able to get that deal. But I heard this point made, and I don't remember if I've, if I've shared it here uh, on the show, so forgive me if I'm repeating. But it was an excellent point that I believe was made by Buster Olney on one of the Sunday Night Baseball broadcasts, mm-hmm. where he was saying that teams are 
concerned about trading for a piece and then the year doesn't end and you've now traded right. for the piece and didn't even get to make that push. And considering that we still haven't had all, you know, 30 teams playing what feels like forever on a weekly basis, a new team gets it. I don't think that's really going to change. You probably yeah. just go at it with what you have. And unless you feel like, you know, there's a cheap option out there or you're the Phillies and you have the worst bullpen imaginable and you have to get an arm <laughs> somewhere. Although Brandon Workman's debut getting a loss was not exactly what they had in mind. It was not what they had in mind. They did. Uh, Workman did get the save for the Phillies in Sunday's action. So he redeemed himself a little bit. I also mentioned Vogelbach got traded right to the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's look at Toronto here, Kev. Okay. Toronto is at 500, right? 13 and 13. And guess what? At 500, they are tied for the eighth spot. They would be in the playoffs right now. They are tied for the eighth spot with another team that is 500, the Baltimore Orioles, for goodness sakes, right? And so to speak to that, that's where we are. In most divisions in baseball, Kev, you got two teams that are legitimately above 500, deserve to be kind of playoff bound, right? But that seventh and eighth seed in the AL and the NL, when you're looking at what is now these wild cards, right? Everyone is still in it. Everyone is pretty much still in it, including the Toronto Blue Jays, who hold that position right now in the American League. You know, the White Sox are lucky. They're a third place team that is five games over hitting home runs left and right. You know what I mean? But these Blue Jays, they have a series that they are going with the uh, first place Tampa Bay Rays. You know, they kept on playing over the weekend when the Yankees were on pause in the Subway Series. So this becomes big for both teams. Tampa to maintain first place. Toronto to maintain playoff positioning, okay? Tanner Roark for the Blue Jays today. Blake Snell for the first place Rays. Those Rays are minus 225 on the money line. Minus 108 on both sides if you play the run line. Total is eight and a half. This game is down in Tampa, not in Buffalo. What do you think about these AL East teams? Yeah, the Blue Jays uh, did good for themselves, getting a nice six-game win streak that, that pushed them back up into this race. Uh, they've played two tight ones with Tampa that they were uh, unable to get wins in here. I, I think at plus 190, I am interested because it is a big number, but Blake Snell has looked really nice uh, yeah. in his last couple of outings. and You know, his pitch count has continually increased, increased, increased. Um, now, I know he gave up three in that, uh, game against the Yanks, maybe he stayed in a little bit too long. But Blake Snell is someone that I, I think is hard to go against right now. Man, I don't like playing mm -hmm. unders, but maybe under eight and a half with Snell on the mound, it, it's a tough game to call. But at 310, when you isolate a baseball game like that, you know it's going to be getting action. Yep, absolutely. There will be action out there with the first game out there on the day for the week. In fact, make sure you get your fantasy weekly lineups set as well. Now, remember, I, I framed kind of this playoff positioning because we're halfway through the damn season, Kev. Does it feel like that? It was only yesterday, in my opinion, you know, when we were talking about the season opening, right, and scratch pitchers to start and, like, seeing what this looked like without fans. But we are halfway through the season. And in the National League, it's a similar story, right? Like out east, you got the Braves over 500, and you know that's a crazy cluster F because of all the um, kind of stops and starts. But 
Miami Marlins still at 500. That's your one and two second place teams, right? In the Central, you got the Cubs running away and hiding. The Cardinals, even though they've only played seven games, 17 games, are above 500 in the second spot. The NL West. Same thing. You got two teams over 500. The Dodgers, who are running away and hiding, 9-1 and one in the last 10. But the San Diego Fathers, you know I love them, but they're the hottest team in baseball, Kev. Hitting grand slams mm. left and right. They've won seven in a row to get to six games over 500. But look at it. These third-place teams that are battling for playoff positioning. Two games under 500 in the West. Four games under 500 in the Central. Two games under 500 in the East. The Mets, who didn't play because of their COVID cases, are 12 and 14, two games under. They are in the playoffs right now, okay? As a third-place team, only two games under. But the division, in my opinion, that we have talked about that has been the gauntlet, is the NL West, Kev. And in that division, Colorado and Arizona start a series going on, okay? I believe that if one of these two teams have a good series, they get right into playoff positioning. And uh, just a little check real quick on your boy or my boy, Charlie Blackman. He went two of four yesterday, raising his average. It's still above 400, not touching 500 anymore, but he still is over 500. And it went up yesterday with a two for four effort, although it stands now at only 405. What do you think about Rockies, Diamondbacks? And again, these teams that are just treading water but are going to be playoff teams in the national league so uh the rockies and the d-backs enter this series uh probably happy to see one another as the diamondbacks are coming in on a five-game losing streak only to be outdone by the rockies seven game losing streak yeah so we've got some streaks that are set to end but to be fair does anybody really want to back these teams uh, I'm not sure. I think you might want to lean under here. The Rockies have played under on the road this season. The D-backs uh, have actually been playing to a lot uh, of unders of recent. Seven of their last eight games have gone to the under. So I think that might be a good way to play this game. Uh, I'll just ask you quickly, Dan. I'm sorry. I, my, yeah. my computer's not working here. Is Charlie Blackman still in first in, in, in batting average? Is he? Probably not. Probably your boy Solano no, is not. in San no, Francisco. DJ it's DJ LeMayhew. LeMayhew hasn't played for a while. I, you know, I wonder. I don't know how long LeMayhew is going to be out for. Aaron Judge comes back for the Yankees. They do believe is mm -hmm. imminent in their next game. Stanton shouldn't be too long either, but they continue to get banged up, right? Britain now on the IL. Glaber Torres now on the IL. DJ LeMayhew now on the IL. And these are key cogs for the second-place Yankees. But uh, I, I was going to say, I wonder how many plate appearances you need in the shortened season to qualify. Because yeah. if LeMayhew misses, you know, two weeks, that might be enough of the season for him to not get that. But you're right. Blackman has returned to earth. Although, you know, hitting 405 is yeah, still but like, pretty good. <laughs> all I'm saying is he's dropped like 80 points since you brought it up. And he's still got two more to go before we get to game 30 for him on the year. And I'm just saying he might yeah. be below 400 before we get to that point, which would be quite hilarious. Because it almost would have felt impossible considering when it was brought up initially. It is, it is interesting, yes, and in these condensed time frames, right, you can see numbers change a lot. We see this also with, like, ERA. 
right, Kev? A guy at this point of the season could enter a game with a 6.80 ERA, pitch six scoreless innings, and that'll get cut in half, you know? So absolutely, we do see that happening. I'll say this, you know, Charlie Blackman, you hit at a 400 clip. Uh, kudos to all of these guys, whether it be Solano, whether it be LeMahieu, right? Whether it be anybody who can literally carry the team in that way. We only got about a minute left here, and we are going to bring in George Kurtz in the next segment. We've got hockey to talk about. The potpourri of sports is really out of control right now. We'll talk hockey with him. We may even talk to him about some baseball, about this Earl Thomas news as well. But I want to ask you, from the big picture standpoint, Kev, I'm telling mm-hmm. you that there's teams 500 in the AL, teams like two and four games below 500 in the NL that look like they're going to qualify for the playoffs. Was it a good decision to expand the field to 16? Um, Yes, because, again, the regular season holds such little weight that I'm okay with it. Because, ne- like, think about just how much variance we have there, the fact that teams aren't going to actually be able maybe to play full 60s I'm okay yeah. with it from that regard because really like it's, I am very much so out of like wake me up when the postseason starts kind of position right. in baseball. And by the way, just while we're doing like a scoped out view, like someone's going to have to explain to me what happened to the angels who share the worst record in the American league with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, absolutely. It did not work. They got multiple MVPs. I mean, Dylan Bundy is pitching decently for them in his new face in a new place, but it is not coming together for Mike Trout, Joe Madden, and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Absolutely not. It is the A's and the Astros in that division. When we come back, George Kurtz, we talk hockey and everything else George Kurtz knows about when we come back right here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, everybody. Right here on the early line, the edge on the grid. I'm Dane Martinez. I always have my man Kevin Walsh with me, but we are excited to be joined by my other man. I got so many guys out there that I look to, that I rely on, that I respect their insight and expertise as I try to win money. And if I'm going to be doing that in hockey, you know, I got to ask what's up with my man, George Kurtz. Hey, George, thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us bright and early on a Monday morning. How you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Hey, I'm an Islander fan, guys. So Islanders play tonight. Looking forward to it. Seven o'clock. Eastern. Okay. And we're definitely going to ask you about that series as they keep it going against the Philadelphia Flyers. But I want to ask you first about the Boston Bruins. Okay, because one of their biggest kind of one of the biggest stories we've seen so far in the playoffs is their goalie Tuukka Rask deciding to opt out mid-series, right in the last time. And I know people what people think about that. I thought his heart wasn't in it ever since he self-reported that he had the sniffles on that app, right? But I digress. My question for you is as it relates to the next man up, Halak. Uh, I know that this is not your normal backup goaltender, that he has been a starter in this league, that he is someone who you can count on, but you're still second string for a reason. In my sports mind, what I've seen in every sport is at first, the backup can do well, right? And everyone's rallying around it. But over time, it starts to get exposed a little bit. Would I be crazy to think that that might happen with Halak in this series? Well, you make a great point. All right, Tukaras did what he did. Now, we're not going to discuss whether or not he was 
whatever he did was right, wrong. He decided to opt out. He does have uh, two small children at home. Sure. His wife is expecting a third on the way. It is what it is. But Tuka sure. Rask is an all-world goaltender. And he's also what I would call a money goaltender, plays better mm. in the playoffs. Now, Boston this season, before everything broke down with the pandemic, they were pretty much splitting time between Rask and Halak. I wouldn't call it 50-50, but the numbers would say about, it was about 60-40. And there was a long stretch there where it would be Rask starts, Halak starts. Rask starts, Halak starts. It's one for one for one. So Halak is a good goaltender in his own right, but he's not Tuka Rask. He's not. Now, Boston was also strange in that they probably were a team that was screwed in the round robin because they had a, about a 10-point lead, guys, uh, in the regular season over every other team. They were going to win the number one seed overall, no problem. It wasn't even going to be close. But in the round robin, I mean, they came out and they admitted after it was over, ah, we didn't care. They didn't care about winning those games at all. They, I think they went 0-3, didn't win a game. Maybe they got a point, but that was it. And they ended up finishing fourth out of four teams. So they got screwed there, and the big question was, well, can you just flip the switch now and play hockey now that it matters? Well, they proved against Carolina. Yeah, we can. You know, they came in against the hot Carolina team and really just wiped them out. Never, they never had a chance without David Pasternak, which was surprising that they did it that easily. And now they beat Tampa Bay in game one, once again with mm-hmm. Halak and Nett. Uh, Tampa Bay, now granted, Tampa Bay's had their struggles as well. They didn't look good against Columbus. But Tampa Bay is a very, very good team. A team that I thought would go to the finals here. I thought it would be Tampa Bay versus uh, Las Vegas uh, at the end of this. Now, Tampa Bay is missing Steven Stamkos, one of the best players in the world. He's out with a, a likely core muscle injury. They're not announcing it, but that's what he, the injury he's had really all season long here. So they've been impressive, to put it nicely. But I do buy what you're saying Tampa Bay in that third Overtime. period, they started to take over the play there. Halak kept yeah. them in the game, but he's not going to win a game for you. He can keep. He probably won't lose it for you, but he can't win it for you either. I do think this series will turn eventually on the goaltending. Vasilevsky for Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. top-notch goaltender. Halak at this point in his career, mm-hmm. not that he's ever has been, but he's not top-notch. Had a good game one, but the pressure will be keep being on him to continue to play that well. That's what I wanted to ask you, George, though. After seeing that first game, the Bruins jumped out to a three-goal lead. They came back uh, to Tampa Bay. They kept it tight. 3-2 ends up being the final there. I was on with you yesterday uh, for in-game live, and I know it was a straight pick in game number one. Now, I know these teams aren't playing today, but I do notice there's a little bit of a shade to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Is this a series where everyone is just expecting, you take one, I've got the next, you take one, then it's my turn here? Or do you think maybe... One of these teams has a chance to separate as the series goes on, and this is done in less than seven. Well, you know what? I am concerned about Halak being a net over Rask, but Boston's played hockey. They've played good hockey all throughout these playoffs. Tampa Bay has not. They got the easier draw in the Columbus Blue Jackets in round one. I, and I, I talked about you guys about this. I don't know if we're being too hard on Tampa Bay. We're getting on them because they beat Columbus four games to uh, three, four games to one, right? They beat them, no problem, mm-hmm. but they didn't look good doing so. Does that matter? Should we be getting on a team for winning a playoff round but not looking Survive good? Survive in advance, George. George. Survive in advance. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that should be the ultimate goal, right? But we, we're yep. on them. But they didn't play well yesterday for two periods. You just said it. They get up to a 3 nothing lead, Boston, before Tampa Bay decided to show up. Boston's not a team you can just, all right, we'll show up eventually and beat them. This is a good team. Tampa and Boston are in the same division. They don't like each other. Uh, Tampa Bay has sort of built their team to beat Boston. And what I mean by that mm. is Tampa Bay for years has been known as a skill team. Not a lot right. of grit. Not a lot of you know a banging finesse. power. They're not that kind of team. Well, this year they changed that around a little bit. Why? Because they want to beat Boston. 
They're worried about the Bruins. They know the Bruins are a team to beat. So they built their team with a little bit more grit, a little bit more power in the corner there. Didn't really show until late in game one. I think what you're seeing here from FanDuel is that FanDuel saw a third period like I did, and Tampa Bay finally started to play their game. If that game would have went another 10 minutes, Tampa probably ties it. And then we go to overtime, we see what happens here. So maybe that does continue on to game two. But guys, until I see it from Tampa Bay, I'm going Boston. I'm just going. Boston has played now, I would say, six or seven good games in the playoffs. Mm. Where Tampa Bay, mm. I'm not so sure they played one good game in the playoffs yet. You came on here, George, talking about that you're an Islanders fan, that you're going to be ready when the Islanders get it going at 7 o'clock Eastern time tonight against the Philadelphia Flyers. I want to ask you this. We had our guy um, Carver on last week, who you know is plugged into the Islanders, maybe like nobody else, right? And he said that in this round, there was going to be a lot of like style makes fight and that the matchup here for the Islanders was not necessarily the one they were uh, hoping to get. How do the Islanders and Flyers kind of match up and what tea, re- tea leaves can you read for that? The Flyers are minus 120 favorites on the money line today and uh, five and a half is the total. How do these two teams match up against each other? The Islanders and Flyers, their history says they play weird games against each other. I mean, there's mm. weird things seem to happen in Islanders Flyers uh, series, but that was before Carter Hart. The problem with the Flyers guys for years have been goaltending. They haven't had. I'm not. I don't want to say top, Carter Hart's a top-notch goaltender, but he's a good goaltender on his way to being top-notch. And the Flyers haven't had that. They've always had eh, average goaltending guys. Mm. You can win with, but not consistently. Or guys who aren't going to win a game or a playoff series by themselves. They need help. Carter Harkin is that guy who could win a playoff series by himself. So the Flyers have gotten better on defense, which has been another one of their bugaboos. Now, they weren't all that impressive last round either. Right? They beat the Montreal Canadiens team. That, let's be honest, had no reason to be in the playoffs. They were only got they were only made in the playoffs because the Angel Air expanded to 24 teams. Pittsburgh didn't play all that well in round one. Right. Carey Price, the goaltender, did play well. But they really didn't deserve to be there. You know, and uh, Philly didn't look great. They beat them, but didn't look great doing so. Sort of like Tampa Bay over Columbus here. Now they'll play the Islanders, more of a rivalry. Both teams in the same division here. Uh, this is going to be more of a pound them series. Both these teams aren't great offenses. Philadelphia would give the edge on offense over the Islanders, especially if Claude Giroux, who was on a milk carton in round one. I don't mm. know where he's been. <laughs> he's their best player, mm. but he was invisible. I wonder, guys, if he's nursing an injury. That we don't know about because he just didn't mm. look. Claude Giroux, I mean, he's not Connor McDavid. We're not talking Sidney Crosby here, but he's a good player. To be that invisible versus a Montreal team that's not great defensively, strange. So I do wonder what's going on with Claude Giroux there. But if he shows up this series, the edge goes to Philadelphia offensively. Defensively, coaching goes to the Islanders. But what's going to determine this, guys, I'll tell you right now, special teams. Both teams mm. struggled on the power play in round one. If I think there's gonna be there's gonna be hitting in this series. Now we don't know how the officiate is going to be. Are they gonna call it close or are they gonna let them play? But if they call it close, I think there'll be five, six power plays a game for each team. I think whichever team takes advantage of those power plays or has the power play going or is playing well on the penalty kill, whatever it might be, wins this series. But either way, I think it's going seven. Hey, George, can I ask you a follow-up there? When you talk about that, that like the power play is going to be a big deal or maybe going to be more effective or that the power play is something to look at, would that impact the way you look at the total on games? If there's going to be more power plays, more power play goals, could we go over more likely? You would. You you generally would because more power plays means more chances to score, better chances to score. Right? It's the power play. That being said, both teams are good on the penalty kill. The issue is this. We never know in the NHL. 
You never okay. know, is, are the refs going to call it close, or have they been told, let them play? You know, once again, I prefer, okay. I prefer let the guys play. You know, don't only call the obvious stuff. Don't call the ticky tack stuff. No, no one's paying to see you, and no one wants to see a, you know a, a little little slash be called for a two minute penalty. You know, you try and hack someone's head off. Yeah, call that. But the little gotcha. stuff, let it go. Let let the guys play. So I'm always curious to see. It's one of the first things I look for in a game. What are they calling? Are they letting them play? Are they going to call everything? And just like baseball, where you know what's what's a strike in the first inning may not be a strike in the seventh inning. It's the same in hockey. What's a penalty in the first period probably isn't in the third period. Uh, what about Stars Avalanche tonight? Uh, this is going to be game number two. Both teams came in scoring a bunch, and they kept that going in game one. Eight total goals. The Avalanche are now even bigger favorites after losing that first game. How do you feel about this nightcap? This is the fun game. Right, we expect a lot hmm. of goals here. A lot of goals here. Uh, the problem, One of the reasons we expect a lot of goals is that both teams' starting goaltender is out. All right, now Ben Bishop's been out for a while. No one's been playing. I think Bishop played one game in the first round, and he didn't play this round. They're saying he's unfit to play. He's got some kind of injury. I believe it was a lower body injury. They don't announce in the NHL. It's state secrets. And then uh, for the Avalanche, they lost Grubauer in game one, and it looked like a bad injury, guys. Once again, they won't tell us, but it looked bad. So I don't think I don't know if Grubauer's going to show up again this series. Frank Kuz is a solid goaltender, but he's not Halak. He's not Hadobin, an ace backup. So you understand why Dallas is now, uh, you know, the team really to beat in, in this series. They found their offense, guys. The last couple of games against Calgary and now against Colorado, they found their offense. And if they, they have a good defensive system. They have the better goaltender. If they're going to score goals, too, I mean, this is going to be a tough team for Colorado to beat. That being said, Colorado is a highly skilled team. I just think with the goaltender, I, I have a hard time uh, seeing them. I don't know why they're minus 160. I might have this almost reversed. I'm taking Dallas tonight big time on this. I think they do go up 2-0. I think everything points to them. They found their offense. I know they're the better defensive team, and I know they have the better goaltender. Hmm. We got about a minute left here, George. What I want to ask you about that last series, you know, a lot of people thought that the St. Louis Blues would be there, but it is the Vancouver Canucks instead. But they are now seeing Las Vegas. And you were previously mentioning you think that Vegas could be a team that hoists the Stanley Cup. So how do you see this one going? Does the fairy tale end for the Canucks in this series? We got about a minute left. Yeah, I mean, last night was a uh, was a wipeout for the Canucks, right? Maybe an, an awakening. Right. You know, you're, you're playing right. a real team here. The Vegas uh, Golden Knights might be the best overall team in, in the NHL. They don't have any superstars, guys. There's nobody here who's a superstar. I even star player might be tough to uh, to find here. They're also going with a back, a, technically a backup goaltender in Robin Leonard. Though he's really a star for many teams here. I think Vancouver may have some problems here. Vancouver's a good up and coming young team. I think they're probably right. a year ahead of schedule here, assuming they can keep Markstrom. But uh, Vegas is the team to beat here. They might they might go through Vancouver pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned that, George, I look at the futures bets. It is the Vegas Golden Knights who right now, with eight teams left standing, are the favorites for the Stanley Cup at plus 220. Then Boston and Halak at plus 440, Colorado, Dallas, and then Philadelphia, and on and on we go. But we will have you back, George, to talk about this as the playoffs move on. But thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us this morning. Can we bring you back, though, to talk more pucks? Of course, you can always bring me back, Dave. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. We've got baseball also to talk about past the trading Thanks, deadline. And we're only two weeks away from the NFL. So no shortage of things to talk about with our guy, George Kurtz. When we come back, though, we tie a nice, neat little bow on this episode of The Early Line. And we find out what's going on the rest of the day at Sports Grid. Come on back for that. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line, giving you the edge right here on SportsGrid. That's what we do all day long. We help you get all the information you need to hopefully make it a profitable day. And up next on our network will be the morning after. And so we are lucky enough to talk with Ariel Epstein. And by the way, Ariel, we are only two weeks away from when I am going to be talking with you a lot more as pro football today will make its return for the NFL season. Excited for that. And so I got to ask you about a football question. We know you like the Baltimore Ravens and Kevin and I today were a little bit surprised with one of their roster moves. They have released all pro safety Earl Thomas right now. We know he got into an altercation with a teammate at practice, but this is a 15 to 25 million dollar move that they are making. And Ariel, honestly, people fight in training camp all the time, right? And all the time when guys who have this level of prestige and skill set and resume, they get chance after chance after chance. You know about the Ravens. What's going on here? The fact that after a what looks like just a fight in practice, Earl Thomas does not get a chance. Me and Kevin sort of think that there's more going on here. What's going on with the Ravens and Earl? Yeah, I think that there's more going on here, Dane. There were apparently a lot of different issues with Earl Thomas, such as not showing up to practice. He's created Mm. hostile environments for the team. And knowing the way John Harbaugh has managed the Baltimore Ravens for all these years in the last decade, he doesn't really take these things well. It's all about team camaraderie. The last time the Ravens dealt with issues was with Ray Rice and the entire and the, the scandal with the elevator. The Ravens don't handle it like that anymore. The Ravens don't want this negative publicity. They just get rid of it. All right, fair enough. But if that's the case, Ariel, yeah, it better not be talking about Antonio Brown or Des Bryant with the Baltimore Ravens anymore. What you got going on on TMA? We have a ton of guests coming on. We'll talk about every single major sport, obviously, and we'll help you find the edge early in the morning. It is a cornucopia of action these days. The morning after is up next. Have a great day, everybody. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.